With racing resuming in earnest and a surge in the global cases of COVID-19, we sat down with the co-founder of the Cyclists Alliance, Iris Slependel, to catch her take on the new calendar, the formation of the Cyclists Alliance, and where she wants to take women cycling. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and as per usual programming, I am joined by Bobby J. Bobby, how are you doing? Doing great here, Gus, and I hope you are as well. I'm so excited to speak with our guest today that I figure I'd spare you some of the stories of the week, which will allow us more time for the <laughs> interview portion of the show. What do you say? Bobby, I couldn't agree with you more. This week's guest is really exciting and I cannot wait to dive in and hear what she has to say. Deemed one of the 10 most influential people in the sport of cycling, today's guest, a professional cyclist for over 10 years herself, a designer, businesswoman, and co-founder of the Cyclist Alliance, Iris Slappendell, has been a voice for her colleagues in her sport, standing up for their rights, overcoming barriers, and striving for a better sport. With her goal, if every young girl can dream of a career in professional cycling in a safe environment with equal rights, opportunity, and pay, Iris has worked for change within the UCI and now beyond it. We sat down with her to discuss her vision for the future of the sport of women's cycling, aligning with the World Players Association, the big COVID-19 situation, and how they are taking care of the rights of their athletes. G'day, Iris. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Now, I understand you are an extremely accomplished cyclist in your own right, um, racing since I think about 2004 at the highest level of the sport. Um, but today, I kind of want to look at the work that you're doing with the cycling Alliance. But before we get there, I just want to understand, right, you've been racing for a very long time. When did you decide to start taking action on behalf of your fellow female cyclists and advocate for better conditions? Well, that, that's something that I think uh, I, I grew in a little bit. 2015, I was uh, elected by my peers to serve on the Athletes Commission uh, at the UCI. And that role in combination with the, the team I was uh, riding for and the situation that year in that particular team that wasn't so great, that really made me realize that there wasn't really anywhere to go for help. And it made me re realize just a lot more about the situation of uh, the female riders in the peloton. I think throughout my whole career, you know, there's there's no one been looking out for me or for any of my friends or colleagues. And I think, you know, maybe it took me 10 years, but that was the moment I realized, well, you know, there's no one holding teams or anyone accountable for how the riders are treated. And um, I think that was a spark that started me thinking about uh, a union or at least having a better representation of the riders and the stakeholders. I think it's also a little bit in my personality not to be really silent and uh, especially when I feel there's kind of injustice. And then in 2017, so I retired at the end of 2016 and 2017, I, um, I got some people on board, some other riders, Gracie Elvin and Carmen Small at that point that I felt were also riders that 
were opinionated and not not afraid to speak up and we started surveying the peloton and yeah that's been the basis of uh or the foundation of the cyclist alliance so and it still is actually and before we get deeper into that in your opinion what is the current state of women's cycling um well we haven't had much to go on in 2020 but let's just say what is the current state in 2020 and what are the biggest issues that is facing women's cycling these days? Ooh, that's that's quite a big um, big question. I, well, I think the current state isn't like, it isn't so bad. If I compare it with like 2004 when I started racing, you know, there's been a huge progress in women's cycling and it's, it's really became much more professional. And I should say, actually, especially the riders. So the level in the peloton has grown yeah, huge. And uh, there, there are more top riders. There are more riders who are able to live from the sport. There are more good races. There are not more races, but there are more like uh, really good ra- races. So I, I think in, I couldn't say what the state is in, in one or two sentences, but I think overall that it's like, it's becoming a professional sport, but we're not there yet. And and I think, yeah, the the biggest challenges is really that cultural change in the sport. Like there needs to be a cultural change. It's still, you know, on one hand, and that's also what we what we see speaking with riders or when we survey them. I mean, sixty one percent of the riders earns less than fifteen thousand euros a year. That's not a professional job that you that you're uh, having but they feel like they're a professional rider you know so there there's a big uh, i think that yeah that's really typical for women cycling there's there still is a lot to to grow and not just on salary i, I think is the whole professional environment and working conditions but yeah there're just so so much opportunities still there and on, um, you said something interesting there, like the, there needs to be a big cultural change, right? It's progressing towards becoming, you know, essentially what most other sports would deem professional sport. You were working within the UCI Athletes Commission, uh, I believe, it, at one point. What sort of led you to go from working within that um, to then starting the, the, the Cyclist Alliance? Um, and yeah, I guess what motivated you to sort of stop working within the UCI and then and start your own thing? Well, first of all, I, I felt like to be truly repre- able to represent the riders in that athletes commission, I I needed to talk with everyone in the peloton, and I needed to you know to to give them to be able to um, yeah be to be a good representative. I should say I needed to be to be there for everyone, and I needed to know what is the opinion of because it's a quite a big responsibility. They just put you in a road commission, for example, which is maybe one of the most important commissions in the uh, in the UCI. And you decide about race calendar and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you come there most of the times unprepared. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's that's the that's the idea actually of the of the UCI to have you there as unprepared as possible. But I didn't feel really comfortable about that. So I think it was, uh, yeah, it, it was, a good thing to at least start um, with surveying the peloton and reaching out to them. Uh, but on the other hand, I should say that the Athletes Commission is a commission of the UCI. It's not a, an independent commission and it has like very, very limited power. Like the only thing, what I just say, you can really make a difference is that seat on the road commission. So 
you know, I think in every normal job, there is a, there is a union where you can seek help and advice and uh, where they have knowledge. So why not in women's cycling? And then I think it's, it is really important that it's independent from UCI. Is TCA the official union for female cyclists or are there other sister branches that you have? Because I know in men's, on the men's side of the sport, there's multiple that often seem to not really come together at, at, in, on certain topics. Is, so are you guys the only or the official union for female cyclists? Yeah, it depends what you call official. I mean, we are an official organization, but we're not recognized as the only union by the UCI. So in cycling has quite of a complicated uh, stakeholder map. I agree. And um, in general, in general, you can say in men's cycling, there is countries have a national uh, union or association. And then there is like an umbrella organization, which is the CPA. And that is the body that should represent the riders on international level. It's just that um, the CPA, the only members of the CPA right now are North America, Switzerland, France, Italy, and Spain. So it's quite a small percentage of the peloton. And at that time that I started the Cyclist Alliance, the CPA did not represent women. So I think at this point, the CPA also claims to represent women at the women's peloton. They're also not officially recognized by the UCI, at least the women's chapter isn't. But, you know, I I have to say that lately the UCI is more working or is more inviting the CPA women to the table than they're inviting us. So the UCI is actually asking us to work together with the CPA. That's that's my answer to your question. I don't know how else to say that. I mean, we we have right now 140, 150, 150 members. Uh, of the uh, professional peloton, which is, I think, about 30-35%. So it's it's quite a big group. They're all individual members, so every UCI rider can become a member. Uh, they have a direct vote uh, in the TCA, and uh, they all pay a membership fee. So it's, it's a very conscious decision of them to become a member of the Cyclist Alliance. Well, that that sort of leads me to the to, to my next question. What has been the response? Um, obviously, you're saying like you've you've had a quite a good response from the riders, um, and with the UCI, it's a little bit confused. Um, but but what about with the teams and race organizers? Um, and and I guess how are you working with them to kind of kind of advance the goals of the TCA? We we have a good relationship with most of the teams and uh, also with a lot of uh, race organizers. The the past two years, uh, so we've 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 officially founded the TCA um, at the end of 2017. We've been I was still in the Women's World Tour Commission, which I believe I, I still am, but I'm not sure. Um, and there we. Um, and there we could really push for change, like uh, the minimum salary for the world to maternity leave. So I think in that way, we have been quite instrumental in this um, in this progress or this reform in, in women's cycling. And we've been mostly focusing on that and on, you know, really day-to-day support for riders like legal help, uh, contract help, medical support, etc. 
And then now we're more, I, I would say since the last few months, we're more uh, approaching teams and race organizers. Like especially now with COVID, for example, we work together with, we have a rider council as well. So that's an elected group of rider of eight riders. We organized this uh, a discussion together with a race organizer about the, co- the COVID uh, measurements and guidelines. And so we, we really try to connect with all these uh, stakeholders as we also feel that it's you know you can you can push for change through the uci but you can also like negotiate it directly with teams and and race organizers and there are a lot of race organizers and teams that are really pushing for progress in the sport and they are really interested to hear the opinion of riders and also the riders they're they're very much um maybe that's a difference in women's cycling and men's cycling like the riders are really involved they have a lot of ideas they understand the their responsibility almost in pushing for change within the sport so they're they're very open to to listen also to race organizers you know when when for example there's an unsafe situation or like now with covid and the issues that come up for uh, race organizers so i think it's been i would say it's been mostly good yeah and how critical is one strong leader in order for the union effort to succeed is there one one leader like in the peloton today that that kind of takes that role maybe that's a little bit what we're missing in women's cycling i think uh mariana Vos is one rider that's that's been very much respected by everyone in the peloton and she could be the one that could really push for change I just think it's not really in her character to be that leader that, you know, is really stepping up and shouting. That's just not in like in her character, which is fine because I think also she really is able to make change in in her own way, in, which is a bit more um, gentle approach. Um, I think Lizzie Dijkman is is a writer that's a lot more open to or a lot more vocal. So maybe she could be that that leader, but then, you know, she's also a mom and she has a family. And But I, I think we should look at that kind of person that's more a bit later in, in her career. And, you know, it's it's quite, you know, it's quite difficult to, to take such a role upon you. You know, a, a few years ago, we should have uh, Ina Joko Teutenberg, you know, that would be, that's in my generation. That was really a leader in the peloton. Someone who, you know, when it, when there was crazy circumstances, she just said to everyone, "Hey, we stop racing," and everyone stops racing. And and I don't think we really have someone like that right now. And that's unfortunately because you need that. I think to really make change, you need that Billie Jean King. And and yeah, you know, maybe maybe one of these riders will um, will take that role. I hope. I hope so. Well, I have heard when your name is mentioned, Billie Jean King mentioned as well, but I want to ask you about that later because you just said something interesting um, before that, which was talking about COVID, right? And COVID's obviously, you know, thrown uh, everything up in the air. And as we sort of move towards um, the, res- the, the, the season kind of resuming in whatever form it takes, um, I noticed something interesting on your website. A, a, a while ago, we spoke with uh, Brendan Schwab from the World Players Association and he said that he didn't really work um, with the UCI or anyone like that uh, in the sport of cycling. Um, however, I see that he's an advisor 
for for you guys and you work with him uh, and the World Players Association. I'm interested to hear, you know, uh, were you able to implement their COVID guidelines um, for all sports to adhere to? And, and, And I guess now as sport is resuming, how are you aligning with the WPA um, in order to make sure uh, for a safe return to the to the sport um, uh, when racing resumes? Yeah, so we're, we are not on... Um, uh, so we work together with Uniworld Players. So we are a member of uh, EO Athletes, which, which is a, an affiliate of Uniworld Players. So I've been uh, present in most of the, of the Uniworld Players uh, webinars and meetings in the past months. And... Um, and I've also been yeah, involved in, in those uh, world players' guidelines. I've discussed uh, a lot of the issues that we face in cycling with Uniworld players. And, you know, with that information, I sort of drafted um, a list of questions about uh, the return to play that we wanted to know from the UCI and the UCI Medical Working Group. So in this way, we've been able to... Um, to provide input and questions, um, yeah, when the when the guidelines guidelines came out uh, last week, a lot of questions weren't answered, unfortunately, and maybe even more questions were raised. You know, there there are things that I will again discuss with Uniwell players, but for us, what we do now as a cyclist alliance is extract a few points from those guidelines that are really important for riders that at least they should know if they're feasible or not, but at least they should know. Like, for example, that they have to test before they uh, resume racing. They have to be aware that they have to ask their teams for those tests. And we will, again, send a list with questions to the UCI that we haven't been seen answered. And we also uh, will ask some questions directly to teams because maybe that's just a faster way to get some things clear than going through the UCI again. And then, uh, yeah, we will we will provide a list of um, guidelines on our website. Like we have already the, the, the Uniball Players guidelines on our website, but we will add some additional guidelines to our website. Um, talking to the riders, they're mostly they're mostly afraid about the traveling, the lodging around the races. So that's that's where they um, they need some more information on. So. Yeah, that's that's uh, how we try to be as useful as possible with COVID. And then we've done the same, for example, with the UCI uh, framework on the salaries. Got that, but uh, the UCI, UNIO and the CPA made an agreement on, on uh, a salary cut, basically, which is also really not understandable for the riders. So we have a legal team in the Cyclist Alliance, and that's really helpful because they can really extract those documents and make it understandable for riders. Then we do webinars and um, and that kind of stuff as well for the riders. Just on the on the salary cut, you said your act your your members your 150 members or so are quite active, which is I think obviously really important. What steps can they take, and what steps are you taking? when the UCI and the CPA kind of agree without real consultation on salary cuts um, and things like that? Well, we we can mostly advise riders not just to sign such a document without having a lawyer or um, their agent looking at it. So I think that's the most important. We just say, hey, before you sign any contract, send it to us and we can have a look at it. And we can advise you if this is a smart thing to do or not. Like 
honestly, most of the riders, they don't really have any other option. But at least you could say like there could be an end date or in in the document. But I think I mean Mariana Mariana was Mariana Vos was involved in this uh, working group as well, and I mean she didn't really agree with the with the document. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other question I had too was right um, as you just said the 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 UCI's kind of guidelines that came out last week weren't super comprehensive but also too we've also kind of realized in the week or has been i think it might have been two weeks since they released those that that we've seen record infection rates across the world for covid i'm interested to hear like you know it seems as though everyone's full steam ahead we've seen racing resume on the weekend um with the slovenian national championships everyone's kind of steaming towards the season as if everything's fine how are you keeping a monitor on that and, and what are you advising your athletes to do are you in are you in contact with the races because you know this could be potentially a very serious situation, right? Yeah, it could be a very serious uh, situation. So we are really, we just keep mostly connected to Uniworld players and EU athletes because I feel they they really have uh, the most up-to-date information and also talking with uh, player associations. Like there's a big network of player associations, not just cycling, but uh, I mean, it doesn't matter. If, if you're a, a soccer or a basketball or whatever association in Spain, they they seem to have a lot more uh, up-to-date information than uh, than cycling have uh, at this point. So th- for for us, that's really valuable. So we we keep in touch with them. We keep in touch with race organizers, and uh, we keep we keep uh, telling riders to keep checking our website to keep check, checking our newsletters so we can keep an eye on, on 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 the current situation on the news i think at this point all you can do is use your common sense and uh, make riders uh, aware of their rights and for example they don't have to go to a country to travel to a country when they don't feel like it's it's a safe destination it's safe to race there you know that that's just one advice for that we could give. So with everything that is going on, and we knew that the the state of cycling in general and and women's cycling more specifically have you know weren't in the the perfect place. What is the morale or the sentiment like in the women's peloton now with with all these, I guess, questions about what how we're going to continue. I think it was pretty pessimistic uh, a, f- a few months ago. For a rider, it's different than for than for us, right? Because they they just live for those races, and when there is a new calendar, they're just relieved and they they're like, oh, finally, we ha- we have a goal to work towards too. And I think that after that first excitement of of a new calendar, now they start realizing like, oh, maybe we have to go to the Giro two weeks before the World Championships and maybe we get COVID there and we're stuck in Italy and oh, what's going to happen then? We're not going to race Worlds. So they they are definitely worried about about the, the situation right here, right now. In speaking with riders, you also notice that they're very much uh, aware of the of the long term impact it's going to have on cycling. You know, it, it's like you say, it's quite a vulnerable sport. It's a young sport. They also, maybe that's also, I don't know if that's a female thing, but they also often say stuff like, well, in the grand scheme of things, like how important is cycling? So they they feel a bit like they shouldn't complain about it too much or ask too much ask for too much because 
you know, it's like lots of people are dying. How important is cycling? In general, they're worried, but on the other hand, maybe the impact is also less big because, the, for example, there aren't too many teams that are heavily impacted by COVID, women's teams. So if you look at salary cuts, for example, there are just a few teams that had to, that had to do a salary cut uh, compared to men's cycling. And that's because they also work with a lot uh, smaller budgets and a lot less staff and less riders. So they have also less costs. You know, we, with the TCA, we're also trying to stay really positive because I think it could also create, create opportunities for women's cycling or women's sport in general, because it's, it costs less for sponsors to get on board and you get quite a lot of value for money. And it's maybe, uh, from a social aspect, uh, more rewarding now to invest in women's sport than in men's sport. So, you know, there, I think there's also opportunities. And I want to ask you before we get onto those opportunities, um, just speaking about the, the women's program, what do you think of the proposed women's program um, uh, for, the, for the rest of this year? Um, and were you guys consulted at all? Uh, how did that kind of come about? Um, no, we haven't been. Uh, we haven't been consulted. We, yeah, again, we could give input through the CPA, um, but at the end, it's just organizers that are able to to organize a race. They're on the calendar, and you see already that that uh, races are dropping from the calendar. And I expect talking with some race organizers that maybe more uh, races will drop just because of these new guidelines are almost impossible for race organizers to do, especially again in women's cycling. So, so, you know, what can I say about it? I think at this point we have to be happy with every race that's going to be organized. And, um, and I think we have to talk really, really good with the teams and the race organizers to, to create, to create a safe standard or uh, environment for the riders. And looking forward into the future just a little bit um are you for or against women's and men's racing racing being run concurrently or would you prefer to have separate calendars because that's that seems to be a a big topic okay good question (laughs) (laughs) so i think from from uh talking about yeah the opportunity of women cycling i think it would actually be better to have a separate calendar and have a much more clear calendar, a clear narrative um, with um, with a series of races that you can follow from from the beginning of the year until the end with the World Championships as a pinnacle with like every week at the same time uh, a race so fans know where, where to go at what time to watch a women's race, maybe similar like cyclocross. But of course, um, so I think in general, the calendar could be a lot better and could, and I think that that's also a way to change uh, the sport, make it more easy for uh, broadcasters to, uh, to show women's racing, for fans to understand it, what they're actually watching and who they're watching. But on the other hand, I think it is important to have some of those uh, monuments in that calendar because that's just cycling, you know. For a rider, there is just nothing cooler than racing uh, the Tour of Flanders. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit, uh, it, it's a bit, a bit of a, 
a dilemma. I would say a combination or maybe both, maybe have a, a series of monuments and have a sep- second league or have an have an o- overall combination. But I think we should not... I think the biggest mistake what you could make right now is just follow men cycling and copy what they are doing. I think that that's just the biggest mistake. I would uh, have to agree with you on that one. I think COVID has, you know, I think a lot of us knew this already, um, but for the wider population of the sport, right, COVID has kind of exposed some pretty big flaws in the men's cycling business model um, from the way that teams are funded to the ways the ways athletes are represented. Um, and so I'm, I'm intrigued um, on a couple of levels here. Have you been able to, obviously prior to this, you've, have you been able to learn from some of the men's mistakes and what are some of the, the ideas you have that you could potentially create a more sound, sustainable sport model? And then the opportunities, you mentioned there is opportunities coming out of this COVID situation. I want to hear some of um, uh, the, the goals that the TCA have in, in, in to, to create those opportunities coming out of this situation? No, but I think a first point, yeah, to learn from men cycling. Well, I think the first thing that we learned from them is not to join the CPA, but form a union that really represents uh, the voice of the riders. Um, so I think that that's been a good first step. And if it takes another 10 years to be recognized for that work, then, you know, we have a long, a long breath. So we say in the Netherlands, at least I have. So <laughs> that's okay. And then, yeah, like you say, I, I think we all, we all know about the flaws of, of the, of the financial model in men's cycling. And that is the sponsoring. Like the only, the only one who uh, profits from um, the races and the broadcasting are the race organizers and UCI a little bit, you know, so to have a real sustain, a sustainable model, you really have to reform it. And I think that's still possible in women's cycling to have, for example, the teams as a real stakeholder. So they have a stake in the races or the broadcasting model. They, they have a revenue out of that. And they're also able to, to have input in that, in that content. So you can create the content together and you have the revenue together. And I think right now, maybe the, v- the value of women cycling isn't so big, but that's the moment to uh, get on board and organize this together. Because, you know, also for the UCI, of course, it's, uh, it's a point on their agenda. But if they would really see the opportunity, they would have taken that a few years ago, I think. So, yes, I believe there is still in women cycling, there is still this... Um, this uh, change and I think you know for for the for the TCA we have a lot of objectives if you if you would put it in two categories you could say we want to make sure that all the riders have a safe and stable working environment and that they're able to live from their sport that they're in a professional environment that staff members are all licensed professional that they are reimbursed for their costs, that they have a minimum salary, that they all the basic, that they have standard basic insurance, uh, that there is a universal approach to race safety, that they all have maternity leave, and they all have a minimum salary, not just the world to riders. And I think the other goal is, or I don't think, I know the other goal of the TCA is, that what the riders are doing, that it's, that it's also visible. So... If you could ask a rider, 
I hope, and that's our aim, that in 10 years or in five years, maybe even, if you could ask a rider, hey, is cycling a career for you? And do you feel it's recognized that they can say, yes, that's the ultimate goal of, of the Cyclist Alliance. And uh, that second goal, the visibility, I think that's something we cannot do just by ourselves, but we can push for, we can advocate for, we can encourage the riders to be more involved, to encourage the teams to be a bit more, to have more of a business mind instead of, yeah, just worry about race tactics. And let's talk a little bit about the the new generation of riders. You know, it seems like the return to the the sport of cycling will be slower than the continued growth of the activity of cycling because I don't know about you guys over in Europe, but it seems like we're experiencing a, a bike renaissance. A lot more people are getting on their bikes. You know, this is beyond commuting, but goes into community and family life. In my neighborhood, it's unbelievable how many kids I see on bikes when before this whole pandemic, they were all cruising around on electric scooters or, 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 or golf carts. Um, what are the barriers that the TCA see to this continued growth across all, all communities? And how do we make this last past this pandemic, meaning keeping more people on bikes, not just for the betterment of cycling, but benefit of the planet as well. Maybe again, it comes back to visibility. Like if you, and also participation, uh, if you see uh, running, for example, I think right now also in Europe, running and cycling are the two sports that everyone's doing. Like loads of people pick it up just at a recreational level. Everyone can run a marathon if they train for it at least, but not everyone can um ride the Tour de France or like there there are a few of these mass participation events like Ride London has or the Amster Gold Race um, and I think that is really really important to create more fans for the sport to have them engaged uh, to to be able to um, ride on a, on a great course one day yourself and the next day cheer for whoever you're fan of and I think that's also something that create, can create a bigger uh, fan base for women cycling. I mean, not all those people that are now that now pick up cycling want to be like Marianne Vos when they grow up, because a lot of them are already grown up. But, you know, the, the uh, challenge is to get them interested in the sport so they also want to watch it and they want to learn about Marianne Vos and want to know what kind of person she is and what hobby she has. And, you know, to, to be, to create those fans, I think it, first of all, it needs to be visible. There needs to be people working at commentators that actually have something to say about the sport and about the, the riders. You can create events where they can connect. Uh, I mean, Swift now is a great platform that we do a TCA ride every week for, uh, for our community because the Cyclist Alliance also has a membership option for fans, uh, which is rapidly growing because people want to support women cycling and they want to feel somehow connected also to the to those stars in women cycling. I think and and it's just great that you know every week we have professional rider as a guest and she can chat with everyone who is riding along in Swift and 
that's I think that's uh, that are all baby steps to um, to growing the sport and growing the popular popularity of the sport. But with more eyeballs on cycling or bicycles, and the younger generation of young women looking at bicycles in a different way, not just to get from point A to point B, but to get and stay healthy. I mean, it's pretty darn exciting to see them falling in love with the bike again and not only seeing and seeing it as a necessity in in their overall lives. In your opinion, what would be the best way to introduce these new young women that are exposed to the sport of cycling? How can we get them maybe excited and poss- into possibly making a career out of being a professional cyclist? Well, I think the pathway has to be more has to be more clear. So the Netherlands, maybe it, it's a difficult question for me to answer because in the Netherlands it is really easy. So from a, from a young age you race together with the boys. Uh, it's fun. It's playful. Then you then you uh, get to the junior categories. Racing gets a bit, little bit more serious. You can you get picked up by a club team. That's a bit more has a bit better setup than than your previous club, and so you can grow into the sport. And I think that's something a lot of countries are lacking. And also because, it, like I said at the beginning, it's really exciting that the top end of the sport is growing and getting more professional and faster. It's also a lot harder to make that step, and especially. Uh, what we see from from the Cyclist Alliance, there's a lot of riders that come into the sport. They sign a UCI contract with a really crappy team that absolutely doesn't have a professional setup, but are apparently a UCI team. They're so disappointed that they leave the sport. They are, you see, eating disorders, you see mental problems. So I think, you know, overall, there has to be more guidance also from national federations on the UCI level. And uh, hopefully in a few years, there will be an introduction of U23 category, which I think would be really important for uh, the, the, the development of women's cycling. I think there needs to be um, a more clear pathway in through all countries to make a career out of cycling. And I think also, again, coming back to that, that culture in the sport has to change. Like maybe now, like last year, we've, we've seen the case in Belgium with the health made case with sexual harassment that comes in the media. It's not pretty, but it, you know, the whole Me Too movement, it has to come out because we really notice that when riders realize this is not normal behavior and they are, they're not the only one facing that, so they can speak about it. And that's the only way to change it. So it's the same as with doping in men's sport, I guess. So that's, uh, you know, that's all part of, of, of a sport becoming more mature. And something that really intrigued me about um, the, the, the TCA, which is the exact opposite end of, of the spectrum that Bobby was just talking about, right? Athletes transitioning out of the sport. The sport is tough. It's undoubtedly, you know, the life of a professional cyclist is odd. It's, it's not like anything else. Um, and I know uh, within the men's side of the sport, Christian Vandeveld did try and get some sort of uh, a thing happening for athletes transitioning out and that, that kind of faded to nothing. 
I'm a big believer that this is something that is is very important in the sport. Um, and and I understand you're doing this. I would like to to hear how how you're helping athletes transition and 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 move on from the sport in a positive way. So I think we have one really cool thing in the TCA that's called T Camp. It's a mentorship program. And actually, coming back to your previous question, so we if there's a young rider that comes into the sport or just a new rider, because in women's cycling, there's still a lot of riders that enter the sport at like 25 or 26 year old. Uh, we connect them with a more experienced rider from a different team and most of the time from a different country. So she can mentor that young rider. And then we seek a person that can mentor that older rider into her transition out of sport when she's ready for it. I think that that's a, a very valuable uh, program. We would, you know, we have very limited resources. So we have, we have connections uh, and we have someone that uh, voluntarily helps riders with after career support. But we would really like to expand that program because i think it's way more than financial um being prepared for life after sport financially it's it's you know thinking about it during your career and and i always notice myself if you if you have something that you want to do that you're interested in next to cycling that gives you also a lot more independent position because you're not relying on your team or your team manager or your contract and I think um, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, every woman that raced had a education or had a part-time job. So they always had something to do after. But that's also something when sport becomes more professional and uh, girls race full-time, they, yeah, they, they think about it. Uh, they think about their future career a lot less. So yeah, that's something um, we are definitely uh, helping riders with. I think that's just such an amazing extra layer of support that the whole idea of the, the mentoring program, because, you know, you, a lot of kids come into the sport very young. Okay. They have their family, they have their friends, they have their teammates, but then when they switch teams or move away from home, they kind of lose that structure. But if there could be that mentor there that follows them through their ups and their downs, you know, regardless of what team they're on and is always kind of outside of that, that family circle. Cause I don't know about you, but I seem to not listen to my parents, even though most of everything they said in hindsight turned out to be a hundred percent true. <laughs> I always kind of depended on that kind of person outside a little bit that mentored me. And I've had many mentors over my life, but I never really had a cycling mentor that kind of maybe guided me through some of the pitfalls and, and hard decisions to make. Because, you know, let's let's face it, when you're young, you just kind of go towards the the shiny object. But if there's somebody there with experience, you know, in the sport directly that see those little shiny objects for what they really are that it's going to really benefit benefit these young men and women in the future. So fantastic job putting that together. And I think it's actually also fun for them. Like when I was in the last few years of my career, maybe naturally you're also a kind of a mentor for younger riders in your team. And it, it's also a lot of fun. It's also something you learn, you learn from yourself. So, um, and yeah, it's like you say, there's no school of becoming a cyclist. So it's a uh, sort of... Um, yeah, it's, it's it's sort of one big black hole you're stepping into. And when you're 
get out of the sport, there's the same kind of hole again. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. I think it's pretty easy to state that there are a lot of improvements needed in the cycling world and in women's cycling, men's cycling, everything. Well, we took up enough of your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks again for joining us here on Fizzo. What an episode. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you to Iris Slappendell for joining us. And wow, what a great conversation that was. Get to us over at velonews.com. You can find all of our past episodes over there. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, you know, your normal go-to podcast site. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. And please continue to show your support by telling your friends, subscribing to our program, and let us know if you're enjoying it. Yeah, we really do appreciate everyone's support and uh, and we love making this show and we love that we uh, are listened to. This week's show was produced by Bobby, uh, Steve Maxwell of The Outer Line, myself. Uh, it was edited and post-produced by Eddie Rogers. If you guys want to get into contact with uh, myself or Bobby, you can do so over at Instagram, at that is Gus for me, at bobby.julik for Bobby. You know, shoot us uh, any questions, feedback, yada, 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 whatever you feel like. Thank you again. Can't thank you enough for listening. Until next week, I'm Angus Morton. Thank you. Thanks again to all of our listeners. Thanks again to Iris. Stay safe, stay sane, stay calm, and don't forget to put your socks on. Every song